Well, welcome and good morning, uh, Trinity Bible Church, as well as any be here this morning. I do have one uh, fast announcement. Uh, we are uh, planning a or running that need to know. We have uh, some signups outside. If you are, you can look at the dates and see um, if you are able to serve in some way. There's a little sheet that you can fill out, put in a box, and then that way they know and are able to plan. Uh, this kind of needs to be the, it's been out there for a while. There's been a couple emails, but this kind of needs to be the final Sunday where we have some, some the, the, they know exactly who's serving and where they're going to serve. So if you could do that after the service, that would be much appreciated. Uh, we are continuing in the gospel according to Matthew in chapter 16. Uh, there has been other times we've been in the gospel according to Matthew where We've been in chapters that may seem like we've been in there for a long time and we're never going to get out of it. I, I fear we have found ourselves in that place again. Although not really fear, fear for you, but you 16, if you just know that we've been in 16 for a while and we're still in 16, um, and that really there were, were no chapters until the 13th century anyway, so these, are, these, aren't, these aren't inspired, so... The chapters. Please hear what I just said. <laughs> I'll be reading from sixteen twenty-four through 28. After I read out loud, I will give you the opportunity to pray in, in silence. Um, if you are a believer in Christ, as we read the word that we will be um, putting ourselves under the authority of as, as, as a body today, Uh, It is an opportunity for you to uh, be honest before God and repent of unrepentant sin. Uh, Ask for the Holy Spirit which dwells in you to illuminate your heart and mind uh, to the truth of the word. Um, Ask for your focus, ask for your undivided attention on the word and that the spirit would guide you uh, in its understanding. If you are not a believer, if you are not a Christian and you are listening, just ask that you consider the words and consider what we have discussed and consider what you've seen today. Now reading from 16, 24 through 28. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Please take this time to pray.
Heavenly Father, may you be glorified in the midst of your assembly this morning. As the saints adopted sons and daughters, the elect in Christ. We've come on this, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, to celebrate the resurrection of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, our Redeemer and King, Christ our Savior. Lord, we come as a people who are yet rebels. And while redeemed in our spirit, new creations, in our flesh we remain ever reminded of our rebellion. And our hearts so easily turn to worship other things. We reach for and see and take That's what you have told us not to. So, Lord, discipline your children this morning through your word. Remind us of our only blessed hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all the things of this world which we seem to love so much, that we seem to reach for and indulge ourselves in, Lord, show us the idols in our lives. Show us the high places. Show us the figures we've crafted after our own image and worshipped. And Lord, shatter them in our hearts and our minds. Have your people convicted of their own failure to uphold the true and righteous law of God. Repent of their rebellion. And be reminded of your overwhelming, overpowering, never-ending grace that you extend on us. God, let us be reminded of the work of Christ on the cross who has taken our penalty, our sin, our curse, our shame, so that we might be clothed in royal robes. Lord, may we be strengthened in our faith today to pursue Christ in our life, put to death sin, and follow him. May we do this in communion with one another through the union we share in Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Lord, may you be glorified through the teaching and listening of your word. May the Holy Spirit transform us through it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It's been quite the roller coaster in chapter 16. We've gone back and forth as, as opponents of Christ have made themselves known throughout the book, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees are confronted we have the, the, the monumental confession of Jesus is the Christ by Peter. And Jesus acknowledging that he is Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, all the way from Genesis 3 after the fall 
He is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Then we have the sober instruction he gives his disciples. That now, as they make their way back to what is considered in their culture the holiest place on earth, the place where God resides and shows his favor on his chosen people, it's that place where Messiah will be condemned and put to death. And he tells them, I must go, I must be tortured, I must die. So we have Peter's visceral reaction of never let it be. Let nothing like that ever happen. And so Jesus rebukes his disciple. And now we find ourselves... We find ourselves in this next group of section that if you cannot, if I cannot relay an application for ourselves in the times with which we live, I ask the elders to form a search committee to find someone who can. Look at these words. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. These are one of those things that it would have been like the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke. When they were amazed after Jesus opens their eyes, they're amazed at all of the things that they didn't realize. These are one of those sayings where Jesus hadn't taken up his cross yet. He had just told them he was going to die. But when he announces, like, anyone who would follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The idea of the cross, which was a, only one instrument, it was an instrument of death. And every culture that was involved in this time, Hellenistic Jews would have been those who had, had grown up from under a more Hellenistic culture. You had Palestinian Jews, those who were much more Hebraic in the way that they understood the faith Both of those groups of people, both Jews and and Greeks, looked at one who was crucified in the same manner. Cursed, evil, a sinner. So Jesus is telling his disciples that he's he's going to be put to death in Jerusalem. And then he also uses the imagery of pulling up and taking up your cross. The cross beam of the crucifixion. And as we think about Jesus walking and taking up his cross and carrying it, it wouldn't have been until that moment for those that were still around where these words would have been recognized. And even later, it would have been after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on there that the real teaching of this would be understood. So when we look at this one verse... There's three things in there that Jesus tells his disciples after he's told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem... And I'm going to die there. Peter is rebuked. And Jesus tells him, if you come after me, anyone, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. It begins with this preposition of if anyone comes after me. If you're following Jesus, 
That's everyone. The, don't look at this in terms of take up your cross and follow me. Oh, this is for, this is for the martyrs. These are those who are going to die for the faith. Where it certainly applies to them. But how this is phrased is, if anyone will follow me, if you are here today and you honestly and surely and truly call yourself a Christian, this is you. As you are sitting with your children at the table and teaching them from the word and praying over them that they would come to faith or maybe they already have, this is them. Your neighbor, your co-worker, who perhaps you've engaged in conversation with, and hey, they now have come to faith. This is them. This is every man, woman, and child who will be called by the name of Christ is called to this standard. You're going to follow Christ? Take up your cross and deny yourself. Sorry, I got that backwards. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But if anyone would come after me, there's all of those who will be called on the name of Christ. What's the next step? Let him deny himself. This is a, a powerful statement. It has the idea of renouncing oneself. Uh, you could have um, renounced your family in some way, uh, kind of exercise yourself out of your family. You could renounce your faith in some way and saying you were taking up a new faith. Uh, What Jesus is talking about here, he's telling a person must deny themselves. They must renounce themselves. Now, I imagine you know what that means, but I'm going to explain it anyway. We as a people are fallen, sinful, and apt to chase anything and worship it. Don't believe me? Read world history. Read a history of religions. Read the the ridiculous nature of some of what Isaiah writes about the the priest who goes home and in his free time is carving an idol from a tree he chopped down and that he cooked food with with the other parts of the tree and then he made part of his house with and then he makes a little thing and he puts it up and he bows down to it. The, The heart of man is, as one theologian calls it, an idol factory. And even as believers, it continues. Don't believe me? Take an honest accounting of your thoughts. Like, get a little notebook. I know people think something's going on with me and I'm getting weird because I bought a phone that has nothing on it but a phone. And I'm not getting messages, and everybody's like, hey, you're not calling me back. I was like, right, it's beautiful. And, <laughs> and then now Christina let a cat out of the bag, and I'm carrying these little notebooks with me everywhere with pens and writing notes and stuff like that down and directions and stuff like that. Maybe I am going through something. I don't know. Maybe I'm oversharing at this point. But having to take an honest account of yourself, one of the great things about a little notebook and a pen 
is if you take an account of how you spend your day, not, I don't mean like the checklist that you do, like what you think about, like what you spend your time on, where you really put the energy of a lot of your life, and kind of take account, like what was I thinking at that time? What led to that action? What led to that thought? I think most of you, most of humanity, if they wrote it down honestly, like no one else is going to see this, I'm going to see this. You would be rightly horrified. Because the reality is, denying ourselves is the last thing that we want to do. We are creatures of self-indulgence. Not only that, it doesn't help that self-indulgence has become maybe the number one virtue in our society. Whatever you want to take in, whatever and wherever your mind leads you, that is the truth, and that's the greatest possible thing you could live out. It doesn't matter if it resembles um, psychosis. It doesn't matter if it's, it's shimmering on the edge of criminality. It doesn't matter what it is. As long as you're true to you, heard that phrase? Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. I just want to invite you to read harder if that's the way you're living. Your heart is deceptive. Your heart is the center of the idol factory. And the main place that connects with your mind, which is also at all times seeking other things to worship. An undisciplined Christian man and woman doesn't even know what it looks like to deny themselves. And yet, self-denial has been the key of the Christian life that is victorious from the time of this teaching until now. And throughout church history... People have tried to unlock the code of how can I deny myself the most? And it brought about the rise of monasticism. And so men would be like, the greatest way I could renounce myself is to get away from women and go live in a hut and read all the time. And then I'm going to make copies of the scriptures. And then they would gather other groups of men who decided the best way to deny myself is to remove myself from society and people and just study the word. Sounds good. How many are like, that sounds like paradise. No one, right? But that was the answer. And so for millennia, that was different types of times of history where people would go out into the desert and other places and live there for decades. And you have to ask, like, what about spiritual gifts? What about serving the church? What about being fruitful and multiplying? There's all kinds of problems with that. It was a a deception to believe that that was the norm of the Christian life, which is at times it was pressed as. This is how you deny yourself. But then that leaves the church powerless. 
And all it led to really was a history of where now monks are known for making good beer. Well, congratulations. You have not done much with the gifts God's given you. In the same manner, other times it meant an extreme punishing view of self. This, of course, grew out of the Middle Ages and was stopped during the time maybe after, after scholasticism into the Renaissance time, where a person, if they would sin, it would be seen as the best way to deal with that was physical self-punishment. The idea of taking Paul's words literally of beating your flesh into submission. It's one of those things, you know, like when you learn to read the Bible properly and knowing genres and figurative language and things like that, where you would really miss out on doing things like that, like beating yourself up physically. And it's all missing the mark. A denial of self begins with a proper recognition of self, a recognition of your sinfulness. And when you recognize, I am a broken sinner, yet redeemed, like Paul, arguing with himself in Romans, it's not the things that I love that I'm doing, I find myself doing the very things I hate. I see a lot of people nodding, right? Because that's what it feels like. When you sin and you lose yourself and you find yourself in this mode of self-indulgence, the the opposite, the antithesis of self-denial, you immediately go into this, how did that happen again? What did I do? I'm, I'm reading, I'm praying, and then I'm right there again. That's Paul's point. And self-denial looks like understanding that that's who you are. And, and what you need is a proper diagnosis. For the Christian man and woman, self-denial revolves around discipline. It revolves around a daily exercise of reading the word. Not as, not as just, oh, I got to read the word today. Here I go. I'm going to read the word. It's this understanding that this, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, ingrained in your mind, understanding the truth of God. And the only way that you understand the truth of God is through the word he's left us and through the power of the spirit to apply it to you is to put that word here. And when you are in the midst of trials of life, you are able to bring that word forward in the midst of temptation, in the midst of the edge of self-indulgence and go, no, I need to be reminded of the truth of who Christ is. I am his. He has died for me. He took my curse, my sin, my shame, and I see this thing like Eve, and I want to reach out, and I want to take it. I want to taste of it. And like Adam, I want to passively stand by and go, that looks pretty good. But the word, the word comes forth to my mind and reminds me that Paul says, nothing that is before my eyes right now is uncommon to man. In that God always makes a way for you to escape. 
And now I look for my escape and I flee temptation. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but anyone who's had that experience in their life can say, the next time that temptation comes along, I remember that moment. And I'm strengthened by the power of God and the victory over temptation. And I'm able to do so again. Prayer. The word. What does your prayer life look like? When you get cut off in traffic, you're late for work, When you see food before you, kids, that your parents made and it's not your favorite, and you're like, God, can you please transform this by the power of the Spirit into a cheeseburger? Or is pray, is praying in your life a habit? Is praying like when you go to bed, how many of you before you go to bed at night already set up? Your coffee. Well, now there's curious. See, that's why I don't come up with things. This is a, set up your coffee as jank. How many of you set your schedule before you the next day? We all do this. Responsible adults have to go, I have these tasks to do before me, and so I got to set them up, and I have to look over them. We do that constantly. Prayer life needs to be like that. It needs to be automatic. This is when I pray in the morning. This is when I pray midday. This is when I pray in the evening. I'm, yes, I'm telling you, schedule specific times of the day where you're praying. And then leave the rest of the day open for whatever prayer needs to happen in the moment. But make prayer a habit. Pray, for, pray to God like, like the Lord's Prayer where you're acknowledging God, you're acknowledging His works, you're acknowledging His power, you're acknowledging your great need for Him, your sinfulness and your need and, and understanding that everything you receive is from Him. Now please, God, give me the ability to show mercy this day, the ability to show grace this day, the ability to have someone... Come in my life who I can share my faith with this day. And pray, make a prayer, your scheduled prayer at night. Make it be about the knowledge that you are have just going to be through a, through a day, which means most adults are going to have gone through some stuff. And make that prayer a petition. Acknowledge who he is in the morning. Thank him, middle of the day, for his provision. And petition him for mercy for the ways that you failed that day. And throughout the day, pray as you need. Prayer, Bible reading, the disciplined Christian life. Otherwise, you are just going to be a reactionary, self-indulgent creature who feels guilty all the time. Jesus is, is purposeful in what he's saying here. If you're going to come after me, if, if, if you are of 
Mine, you are mine. As these disciples were his, he's already told them, I chose you, you are mine. Just like all of us, God chose you, you are his. So you are called to follow him. Deny yourself, renounce yourself. Everything that you take joy in in the world has to be measured in light of this. Oh, how we love the world. Don't believe me? Look at, the, look at the statistics of church attendance post-COVID. The ease with which people realize they can watch it on TV. And so many churches told them, yeah, you're still members. Are you still sending checks? Oh, you're still members. You'll hear churches today say, for all of our members who are here and online... not real that's as fake as everything else that's digital today the church has adopted the culture don't believe me explain the rock concert that happens in most evangelical churches the light show You can't hear each other's voices. Do you know the only scriptures that talk about singing in the New Testament are only mentioning the voices of the people? I'm not an anti-instrument. I I feel like I have to always give qualifiers. Like music's the thing. Like, oh, it's talking about now. What? (laughs) Now I'm listening. I'm not anti-instrument. I'm saying, but all that's in the New Testament is our voices. And the voices are a recognition of the great work of God in our responses to praise. Hearing each other's voices is the point of music in the church, not the instruments and not being hypnotized by light shows. That is nonsense. That is emotion-driven. The church has adopted everything that the culture does. Don't believe me? then why are most of the songs and sermons and popular evangelicalism more to do about you than it has to do about God? And we wonder why we have droves of people in the United States who call themselves Christian that can't articulate a single point of understanding of what the gospel is, can't define what sin is, can't talk about what the fall is, can't even say what the need for Jesus is because they're held every week. They're, they're doing just fine. You're doing just great. What nonsense. What a travesty in a pagan culture. The church should be the one saying, this is evil. In the midst of an evil pervasively pagan culture, those who follow Christ by denying all these indulgent practices are going to be noticed. And Peter would say in his first epistle, that's the point. When those look at you and wonder why that you're not partaking in all of this debauchery. They're going to wonder why you live that way. 
And then whatever shame and ridicule comes with that, they're going to wonder why you just take it rather than lashing out. Why? Because God incarnate took on flesh, left glory to come down and be humiliated willingly. And that humiliation was something he kept telling his disciples, this is what's coming for you. You want to follow me? Okay, we'll keep going. Yeah, I'm healing. You're getting a lot of kind of unexplainable free fish and bread at these times. You're doing all these things. But if you're really going to follow me, look as I progress towards Jerusalem. We want to follow you, Lord. We want to follow you, Lord. Get to Jerusalem. We're with you, Lord. We're with you, Lord. Pray for a while. They fall asleep. You can't even pray for a little while. They wake up. He goes to pray. They fall asleep again. He's arrested and they flee. They scatter like the wind. The strongest among them denies him three times in fear of what man can do to him. And we read it and we are amazed by it because we are blind to who we are. But don't stop reading. Because after Pentecost, the coward quits fearing men. He remembers these words. Jesus rebuked him because Peter said, surely you're not going to die. And then Jesus tells him, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up a wooden beam. And Luke will add in his gospel daily. We're not going to the cross to atone for sin. Christ did that. But to follow Christ means to recognize our life is looking to the next life. Our life is looking to the blessed hope of his return and his kingdom, which we are inheritors of. And all that we possess and all that we love here and now, while some of it is good and beautiful, like family, like work, and like all these things that you could say, like nature, all these things you can say, God has given us to us for our enjoyment for a time. But if you're not prepared to say this, all the good things even are less than my inheritance, then you haven't taken up that center beam. You're still in love with the world. And the idolatry in your life is something you haven't dealt with. We're to look at this life as a transient moment. A vapor, as Solomon calls it. Something that dissipates in the sun and is gone like that. Yet while we're here, And while we are in Christ, daily, we're to be reminded as we wake. My place in this fallen world is to follow him. And so as I go to school, to work, in the home, wherever it may be, I take this center beam with me. I take Christ's humiliation, I take his his very 
way that he interacted with the world and I look at his example of fulfilling the law that I cannot fulfill, that I am guilty of moment by moment, day by day, of full guilt of, that I can do nothing about. But that's okay. He took that for you. So following him, looking to him, taking up your cross daily looks like a reminder of who Christ is and what he's done and putting to death, put to death the garbage in your life. It is ruining you. And take the beautiful things that are of this world and cherish them as gifts of God, but do not put them above God. you would come after me deny yourself take up your cross and follow me let's make an agreement in a self-indulgent age surrounded by self-indulgent Christianity that the way to live is a denial of self not as monks, not as strange people hurting themselves, but as a community of faith that is in a full agreement that what we're called to do is pursue Christ. And for that, we need the word. We need prayer. We need to be completely dependent on the spirit and each other. Every Sunday, look around. That's who God has put you together with as a family, adopted, sons, daughters, in union with Christ, shared with one another, empowered by the same power with one another, given the same word. We're all dealing with the same fallen world, and life is hard and ugly. And Christ died for all of us. He took on the worst parts of it for all of us so that we might glorify his name in the way we interact with each other and the world around us. Put to death the idols in your life and glorify him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. God, by the Holy Spirit, I pray you would move the hearts of your people, transform their minds, convict of sin when need be, discipline, discipline us in our sinfulness that we might turn fully to you. Lord, as the church is called to follow Christ and look like him, Lord, strengthen us because we are sinners. We are fallen. Comfort us, Lord, through the gospel of Jesus Christ that he died for our sins and took our, the curse and the shame and the penalty that was due us. Strengthen us by the Holy Spirit with this truth daily. 
Remind us of it moment by moment through the Spirit and through the sweet words of one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.